0: Well, hello, Rise Together listeners, Dave here. It is the Thursday before Father's Day that I am recording this episode, and so I thought, what better time than to have a solo episode with me having a conversation about being a dad, fatherhood. Uh, I did an outreach to you, our listeners, this community, asking which kind of questions you would have me answer on a show for Father's Day here on the Rise Together podcast, and I'm gonna do it. So, buckle on up. Let's have a little bit of fun with some mailbag questions around parenting, fatherhood, what it means to be a dad, on this week's episode of Rise Together. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis. And I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Okay, the first question, what is the most surprising thing that you have experienced having become a dad relative to what you thought it might be like prior to having children? So for sure, without a doubt, I had a misconception coming into parenting that I would parent each of my children the same way. As in, like, there was a one-size-fits-all, you are the same kind of dad to each of your children because there's something in uniformity, there's something in being a constant, there's something in the predictability of how you show up and, and showing up regularly. And as much as, yes, I'm a huge advocate for structure, and yes, there are absolutely certain rules that apply for every single one of my kids, right? Bedtimes are this, tech time is that. There's a way that you have to be respectful and care uh, for how you interact with your siblings or treat your parents with respect. Uh, the way that I am as a dad is wildly different for each of my kids because each of my kids are wildly different themselves. There's... Um, there's just something that you don't appreciate. You can read what to expect when you're expecting or have conversations with your friends who have kids. You don't know until you become a parent how intricate and different and unique each of these individual kids are, they're individuals. And so the idea that I could just be a single kind of dad for each of them uh, was a ridiculous thing. And so what I've come to find as maybe the most important piece of advice that i would give to someone who is not yet a parent is you have to meet your children where they are right like have those things the the rules and the structure that creates the predictability the the safety feelings of security but also get to know your kids what is their love language right like each of my kids gives and needs to receive love in completely different ways. And so uh, a one-size-fits-all dispensary of love would maybe not land as squarely as I'd hope for it to land if I wasn't meeting them where they need love. So if one of my kids craves more quality time or craves more physical touch or craves more words of affirmation, I have each of my kids have uh, some combination of those things, but definitely have a need for more of those things uh, as an individual, then good, I know. I need to spend a little more quality time with one of my kids. I need to make sure that I'm encouraging one of my kids because the way words have power in their life. Um, so I think, the, like, again, the biggest thing is I thought I could be uh, the same kind of dad to each of my kids. I have to be an individually different dad to each of their individual needs. Part of what that's meant for me is really investing in and spending time in the places where they have personal passion. So each of my kids has a thing or a couple of things that are just the most important things in their life, in their world. So for Noah, and I mean, Noah at four, she's still kind of figuring out where her passions lie, but she loves to play, she loves dance, she loves to swim in the pool, she loves to dress up and play pretend and and do the kind of things that, you know, a normal four-year-old human being would like to do. So coming to her level and engaging with her in those things that she loves to do makes her feel seen and loved and she gets the attention that she's hoping for and the connection that she needs. Uh, My son Ford is very much an adventurer. He's an out Indoorsman. He loves to go out and, like, he's the, he's the kid who likes to camp. He's the kid who likes to go out into the backyard and find uh, rocks of a certain shape or sticks of a certain kind or whatever. And he is um, someone who can entertain himself for a long time in that kind of adventure, imagination, curiosity zone. But when it comes to, like, how one on one time or special time with me might show up, It's about getting outdoors, going outside, doing something that has some degree of adventure, some kind of nature aspect, uh, you know, with it. Sawyer, he is the sportsman in our family, like very much into baseball, previously played soccer. But baseball is just like the thing that he loves to do this morning. Uh, I got done getting some breakfast going, I did a workout, he came by, I I had some meetings that I obviously had to dive into, but he asked, hey, can we go out and play catch? He's a pitcher in the making, he wanted me to sit and be the catcher, and so we went to this little area that I've set up where it's a batting cage and a pitching area, and we played catch, Like that's the way that we connect. Me being a coach of his team, or traveling to his games as he's now on a traveling team, man it means so much to him in part because man all of his passion not all of it but so much of his passion and a lot of his significance is connected to the way he feels while he's playing sports and then jackson he is my intellectual he is my lover of musical theater he is someone who like is down with science and loves to read and is into chess And so the way that we end up connecting usually is through conversation, but also can sometimes be, hey, I read this book and we talk about it, or chess as a for example, like I am a terrible chess player, but he's gotten super into it. And so letting, not letting, me trying to beat him (laughs) has become uh, one of the ways that we try to connect. Uh, But the bottom line ends up being, right, like the things that are exciting for Jackson are different than what's exciting for Sawyer, is different than what's exciting for Ford, is different than what Noah likes. And being able to, like, create special moments that have us connecting inside of spaces where they have passion, super important. And guess what? There are still some umbrella opportunities for us to spend quality time together. We have... For the better part of the last year and a half, every night after dinner, there's a little window of tech time. Once they finish that tech time, 7.30 p.m., we've been running through shows. So we watched, we watched, watched a, a bunch of lost episodes, didn't make it to the uh, finale. Don't worry, uh, they can't be that disappointed yet. Um, But we're making our way through Parks and Rec, uh, Modern Family. So like finding a way to sit in a den on a big oversized couch and have that as a thing where we get to communally hang out and laugh and, uh, you know, maybe as the episodes are going from one to the next, have a quick conversation. It's just a little bit of quality time, but it's more passive quality time. It's really in those one-on-one situations that I find that deeper connection and an ability To pour into a space where they have passion and feel seen for like what it is that actually lights them up in life. All right, uh, next question: What's the most awkward thing one of the kids has asked so far? Oh man, what's interesting is when I think about the way that I grew up. I grew up in a very religious household. I. Did not have with my parents the kind of conversation about things that may be awkward, that may be weird, especially around sex and sexuality. Uh, I was handed a tape <laughs> uh, by James Dobson uh, while I was mowing the lawn one day, and. Uh, this tape explained sex instead of actually having a sit down conversation with my parents about it. So it just like I didn't grow up in an environment necessarily where we were having a lot of awkward conversations. And what's interesting is that because of that, I've acknowledged that I want to try and create as open and non-awkward an environment as possible so that they feel super safe to bring up literally anything. And so I actually go on the offensive a little bit, not in an offensive way, but I try to bring up the awkward things in an attempt to take the poison out of the awkwardness, right? So I'm driving in the car with one of my sons yesterday, day before, and he's twelve, thirteen, uh, has a girlfriend, but at twelve thirteen, like That's not really like a thing that uh, involves the kind of things that having a girlfriend at, say, 15 or 16 might. But I went right in. Uh, Are you holding hands with this person? Are you kissing this girl? Like, tell me, please, the details of what's happening. And we engaged in a conversation that was not totally uncomfortable, but also said, hey, this is a safe place. We can have a conversation about what's happening inside of you becoming someone who starts spending time at school with another human being of the, uh, in this case, opposite sex. But like, um, I don't know, like when it comes to anything that has to do with reproductive systems or anatomy, I am very much like, I'm just going to try and hit it on the head having a conversation in a way that maybe um, they might laugh when I bring it up but then we can segue and pivot into a real conversation where it's like hey nothing's off limits you're not going to gross me out I've seen it all I've been through it I've felt uncomfortable with it and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable do they still you know probably have some reluctance in wanting to bring stuff up sure I'm I'm sure that they do Um, But I found that in those one-on-one moments where you get a little bit of time on a car ride, where if I'm with Ford out in the backyard on a a nature adventure of some kind, in those one-on-one scenarios, their willingness to have a little bit of a conversation about something that might normally Feel awkward or that they might have some reluctance to bring up because of not wanting to be embarrassed or feel embarrassed in front of a sibling is something that they feel a little more comfortable talking about when they are with you one-on-one. Uh, what is the best advice you give to your children? Um, I mean, I have tried in the work that I do to you know, use the stories of any experience that I've had to normalize struggle, normalize the worries that people tend to have about reaching for their dreams or living into their purpose. And um, I'm trying to tell my kids all the time to believe that they were put on this planet for a reason, that that reason is big, that those big reasons are inevitably going to probably trigger some of their own insecurities and some of their own worry of whether they have what it takes to do Those things, and yet they have to choose to get up and go do those things anyway. Um, but I end up having a conversation about like, hey, here are some times when I absolutely was affected by the worry of what other people were thinking of me, and that was a waste of emotion. And I want to encourage you to live your truth, live with integrity, live in a way that would honor the intention of why you were put on this planet, and then don't worry about what anybody else thinks because man i wasted plenty of time worrying about that stuff and it was not any it just wasn't a good use of time but like belief in self the the freedom to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes the like hope that they would just like not let somebody else convince them that they aren't capable of or can't achieve what it is that they feel beaten inside their heart. Um, I think there's so many people that like had so many big dreams when they were kids and now as adults have a harder time connecting to them. And so I want so badly to do whatever I can to preserve dreaming and the conceit that they are able to achieve those dreams if they put in the work and they stay humble and they keep uh, a focus on doing it the right way that they can that they can get there so um just uh, the best advice the most important advice believe that you know believe that you're here for a reason live with integrity every day to try and unlock those reasons and don't worry about what anybody else thinks of your decision to pursue these dreams you were put here for them and it's now your opportunity to show up for your life and show up for um, the way that that purpose might have impact on other people. All right, let's see. Next question. Uh, Any tips for a new mom to support a new dad? He's so helpful to me and I want to support him. Oh my gosh, what a sweet question. Um, I think more than anything, at the beginning of having children, neither of us, uh, Rachel and I, now we just didn't have any sense of what it was going to be like. And I think if I could go back in time, we probably would have had a few more conversations about how we were processing these big changes in our life and what we needed, right? Like, you can't help someone unless they represent a need for help and you can't satisfy needs unless you know what those needs actually are. And so, I mean, my hope for you would be that if you're a new mom, he's having a conversation with you about what your needs are in this particular season, and that as those needs change, you're in constant conversation in a way that says, hey, that thing I used to need, those needs have shifted, I now need these new things, and I'm hopeful that you could be supportive in these ways. Um, Just, you know, as much communication as you possibly can and letting go of whatever kind of preconceived ideal or idea you had of what parenting was meant to be like or what roles were meant to be assumed by which party If I made mistakes at the beginning of being a dad, I mean, I grew up in a very traditional household where my mom stayed home and raised the kids as a stay-at-home mom, hardest job on the planet, and my dad worked and there were some things that I took from my family of origin that I assumed carried into my marriage, that I would be the provider and be the person who was working and Rachel would be the person who was going to raise the kids and It wasn't until we had our second kid that we really got into some harder but great conversations about, hey, um, we probably should actually spend a little more time talking about what of the roles that we grew up believing were what men do inside of parenting and what women do do inside of parenting. Which of those actually apply inside of our house today? And, you know, like whatever, 10, 12 years ago, those kind of conversations coming up absolutely tr- changed the way that I thought about. It's, you know, like I'm not a 50-50 partner in raising these kids. I'm a, I'm a 100-100, right? <laughs> these kids are 100% my responsibility and they are 100% her responsibility. And so as a person who today in obviously, this change in our relationship, like, I still believe I have 100% responsibility in raising these kids, even as we're doing it in separate homes. And I still believe that she has 100% responsibility. Um, And so, anyway, I mean, I think just having the conversation of what expectations do you have in the way that roles are divided inside of this house are there specific needs that you have in this individual period of time, so that there again there aren 't any kind of assumptions there aren 't any um, there just isn 't a, a window for you to potentially either not have your needs met, him not have his needs met or you have anything in um, unrealistic expectations because of the way you may be observed people parenting as you are growing up or have had, uh, the influence of what society has maybe suggested through the lens of the patriarchy that women are meant to do these things and, and men are meant to do those things, um. One of the questions here, it's a good segue. Um, I don't see it right in front of me, But the question was like, why are men celebrated for doing the most simple things when it comes to parenting in a way that like is different than women, right? like <laughs> the, the the answer is that we grew up, I mean, many of us grew up inside of a patriarchal society that dictated a little bit that women did these things as, the, like, as a part of their responsibility inside of a home and men did these things, or frankly, didn't. And so like, if, if you are someone who has a perspective that is different than what society may have said 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, when you were growing up, then having that conversation inside of your house is such an important thing But also, yeah, like, is it ridiculous that there are times when (laughs) on social media, someone will get a a high five for doing something so simple and basic as a man that uh, is just an expectation as a woman? That's, you know, like the definition of some of the patriarchal stuff that's bled into society. I'm a... I'm a super feminist and that just means that I believe that men and women are equal and I am supportive of, you know, men having as much responsibility in raising kids and being active, present parents as women inside of a house. Um, But if you are someone who grew up inside of a different kind of frame that saw different roles, then having that kind of a conversation with your partner may be important just so that you get on the same page uh let's see what other questions um what do dads actually want for father's day (laughs) do they want a day off do they want family time do they want practical gifts do they want fun gifts nicole asked this question that's a great question nicole i mean i think that there is a part of us that wants all of those things right like in a in a perfect world would I would I like to have like a window of time where there is just guilt free napping or sports watching that is happening on a couch, uninterrupted by you know chaos or responsibilities or anything? Sure, but would I also like to have the opportunity to do something fun with the kids, jump in the pool, go on a walk? Yes, of course. So I think it's I like to me personally. It's both like I'd love to be able to like indulge in a little bit of time where it's like, hey, high five to you for the work that you've done as a dad in this last year. You you deserve two hours. Enjoy enjoy that two hour window. Um, but also, like I know for like this Father's Day, I'm looking forward to a barbecue and swimming in a pool and hanging out with the kids for the entire day. I will. I mean, last Father's Day, holy cow! Like last Father's Day was really really hard because it was about a month after uh, we start our conversation and you know are officially separating in divorce. And that first Father's Day going solo with my kids was brutal. I mean, it was so hard. And yet, there was something beautiful about it. I took them down to this hiking trail where I had every single day been running long distances at the end of this trail. There was this rock where I would sit, have a conversation with God, have time in nature, do a little bit of meditating. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna bring them to this place that has been super special and important for me in processing all the things that are happening in transition. And we had a really, really nice and hard time just walking around in nature. We came back to the house, we jumped in the pool, and it was like in that in that really hard Father's Day, the thing I needed most was time with these kids because my identity in so many ways is something that has me as their dad as one of the most important and meaningful pillars of what I would describe myself as when I'm thinking about or talking about my identity. So, um, Anyway, family time for sure, I think, is something that, uh, you know, any dad who uh, is close and connected with their kids wants to have, especially when kids are young. Like, I've got some gifts that the kids have made uh, at the very, very end of the school year that I cannot wait to open because I already know they're going to be the most creative and ridiculous, like, puns. That, um, that preschoolers end up making. I mean, one of them I've seen, Noah's made something that says I'm nuts for you and she's holding a huge acorn. Which like, yes, I need that picture of you holding a huge acorn that says I'm nuts for you. Um, but when it comes to like, what kind of gifts do you want? I, like if it was a gift coming from an adult and you're asking like practical or fun, Um, I, I mean, I tend to be a little bit more of a practical gift person always, because, um, if you're going to get me something, then it ought to be something, or I'd hope for it to be something that I could use that when I use it, I could be, you know, reminded of how thoughtful it was that you knew to get me something that, uh, was meaningful to me, I like fun gifts, but honestly like i'm i 'm a little bit more like if in real time i 'm like i've been riding this road bike a bunch and i need <laughs> I need a new water bottle for this road bike. If someone knew that I needed a water bottle for the road bike and they got that for me it's practical it 's not that much fun, but it is meaningful because it's something that is important to me in the shortest term um, when it comes to kid gifts though. I want fun. I want, like, something that's creative, something that I'm just going to open it and I'm going to smile because I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you used these straws and these noodles and you glued them on a piece of paper and you made a giraffe riding on the back of an elephant that says, Happy Father's Day. You are tall and big. Like, <laughs> that's that's what I'm looking for in a in a good Father's Day gift. Uh, all right, Uh not related to Father's Day necessarily, but definitely related to fathers. Next question, how do you discipline? How interesting. Um, I, I actually think that we are probably the product of how we were disciplined in some respects, either in that the way that we were disciplined was effective and we carry it into our now becoming and, uh, and disciplining our own kids, become becoming parents and disciplining our own kids, or the way that we were disciplined was something that scarred us or bothered us, and we end up deviating from the way that we were disciplined as a, I promise I'll never be this kind of parent when I become a parent. Um, my, my discipline has been more... Uh, Make number one conversation like i'm not i I'm not a yeller i'm not someone who um, as much as I of course get angry and definitely get frustrated. you can't have four kids have uh, the chaos of life happening without getting frustrated, but um, I'm not someone that necessarily yells. I am someone who will get direct um, and there's definitely a tone of voice and a seriousness. I tend to be someone who's um, often pretty jokey with my kids. And so when I do get serious, they know, oh, wow, we've crossed a threshold. It's become a serious thing. I, I'm definitely a, um, all right, we're gonna have to take like if you if there's an infraction related to technology as a for example, which (laughs) for the older kids is definitely the thing that happens the most. um, That means that the punishment fits The space inside of which the crime was committed, right? So if you're using your phone after technology time, well, then I have to take your phone away. And it has to be a length of time that's gonna make you think twice about violating the window of time. It's a you know, like it's a smaller window. So like if you violate that smaller window of time when you're allowed to use the phone, I'm gonna probably have to take it away for a week, right? Well, if they like to have that couple hours each day with their phone and I now have taken it away for a week, by the end of that week, they will have a memory of, oh man, I have to actually stay strict with, maybe I have to set an alarm for uh, for tech time. Um, but I don't know, what's really, really interesting in dating Heidi, right? Like, so I parent in a certain way and I realize that my discipline or even like be even beyond discipline i just like i don't want to say that there's apathy i just have a, a a pretty high threshold for like being bothered by things i'm kind of a like eh if this isn't really gonna create a like is it gonna leave a mark no all right like let's just roll with it so i tend to have a higher threshold of like it's not really gonna hurt them. It's not really gonna leave a mark. I'm just gonna kind of let it roll. And only when it crosses a certain threshold do I wanna jump in and like kind of, you know, be a little more uh, assertive or or, or discipline-oriented. And um, she's, she's definitely uh, like much more hands-on and has uh, much more stringent, strict rules. Uh, and so just even in like how we're having conversations of like, all right, Is there a role that I play when I'm with her kid? Is there a role that she plays when she's with my kids? How do we find like the middle ground? It's such an interesting thing. By the way, I mean, the the role that when Rachel and I were married, like Rachel was definitely more, um, you know, she had a, a stricter rule kind of ideal than I did. And we had to find a balance, right? Like having consistency in how each parent enforces the same rules to me is such an important, important thing. Um, there's just a, like I say, like I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I don't care because I do care, but I think that there is something important in like, let them play. You ever watch a soccer game and the referee says, you know, like, play on? Um, You know, like, if you slide tackle and you clip the guy's knee from behind, you probably need a whistle, maybe a yellow card or a red card, right? But if, like, there's some incidental contact, play on. And I tend to be a play on kind of dad because, um, I don't know. (laughs) Because I only think there's certain things that are really, like, worth having to jump in the middle of. I want to see my boys work through their stuff without me having to jump in and, and like work it through for them necessarily. Um, I'm not a spanker. Uh, I was, I grew up inside of a house where spanking happened. Um, But I'm not, I'm not a spanker and I'm, and I don't know that I ever would be. Um, And I also, but but I also like when it comes to like what other punishments um, you know, having someone spend some time in a timeout, like, you know, relative to how old they are, right? No one might get a four minute timeout as a four year old. Um, You know, the older kids maybe get a little bit of a longer timeout if they've crossed a line in saying a bad word or being, like really the thing that I think maybe I react most to in discipline is bullying. Like if an older sibling is bullying a younger sibling, I'm gonna step in every single time because that's just like, I have no tolerance for it. But if they're, you know, just having a little bit of fun or they're getting a little bit uh, rambunctious, eh, go for it. Life's too short. What is your favorite hard thing about being a dad? Kendra asks. What's my favorite hard thing about being a dad? Well, I mean, when I think about like what role I play in being a dad, like the, just like in being a human, Like, one of the things I think I'm on this planet for is to model how I'd hope for them to show up as adults. It's a, like, hard thing, right? Like, there are days when I don't feel like being the best version of myself or having the kind of discipline that I need to become the person that I know I can be, and yet that's what I'm here for in some respect, right? Like, I have to make a decision every single day if I'm going to make choices that were they to be the observer of those choices would inform how they ultimately become the best version of themselves and so I think the hardest thing about being a dad is being a human right because I like anyone who's listening like I've got plenty of stuff that I struggle with or times when I get fatigued or tired or or struggle with motivation when I'm like not in the mood or whatever it might be, get, you know, get frustrated or um, angry with the chaos of life not turning out the way that I might hope. And I still have to decide, okay, do I want to model someone who's still going to get up and move their body in the gym, someone who's still going to reach for positive coping mechanisms, someone who's going to be kind and, and show grace, the, you know, like sometimes having to choose to give someone the opposite of what they deserve. Um, if I'm hoping that they might make those same choices when they become adults, then the answer is yes, but dang it, that's hard. I, like, I've, t- I've talked about how I'm motivated. I wrote about this in my next book. Um, some people are really, really motivated by casting a positive vision of their future, and I tend to be motivated by negative visualization. And one of the things that I have visualized About my future was like one of the things that really helped me get unstuck in the midst of my midlife moment of like really being stuck between like, I don't know, call it 38 and 42. That's a long window, but um, was visualizing my birthday dinner 20 years in the future. And so I can still, I can connect to this right now. I'm 46 years old, so at my 65 year old, 66 year old birthday party, there will be this group of people who've assembled to raise a glass in honor of the way that I have shown up for their life over the next two decades worth of time. And by the time we get to that dinner, my kids will be adults. They may in fact, have children of their own, they will be adults. And so I can visualize this dinner going one of two ways. I can visualize it with a full room, people are weeping with their tributes of how well I have shown up for my life and in as a result of that, how well I've shown up in their life the way that I've been an inspiration to them or modeled something that they, in having seen my example, helped them become the version of who they'd hoped to be. And they are just, they're verklempt. They're unable to complete sentences because of how happy they are that I had this influence in their life. And the other version of that dinner is that not every single one of my kids shows up Right. Like this is a dinner where everyone's meant to come and represent what they're proud of. And some of my kids in the version where I didn't show up for my life aren't proud of me. They don't have anything to toast. And that like room where it's not full, where there aren't tears of joy, where there aren't people just gushing instead, struggling for words. That is what motivates me because I know if I were to not have some kind of discipline in my life and some circle of accountability and some, you know, like something that helps maintain some motivation to show up well for my life, that I could make choices that left the people that mean the most to me in a position where they didn't have a ton to be proud of. And that helps me get my stinking running shoes on on the days that I don't feel like it. So anyway, Kendra, a long way to answer your question. What's your favorite hard thing about being a dad? Like the motivation or the way that my hope to model well, the adult I'd hope for my kids to be is in the short term, certainly as I've experienced tremendous personal growth in the last handful of years and find myself proud of how I've become healthy and and strong and have worked on my mental and emotional health alongside my physical health. Like, that ends up being one of my favorite things because I've done a lot of the work in my life in honor of or as a tribute to the way I'd hoped for my example to rub off on my kids. All right, Uh, we have a question. My hubs and I are gonna start trying for a baby soon Any tips to make him feel more ready? Well, uh, I think, and this is not the answer that you or he probably want to hear, but uh, you will never be ready to have a kid. I mean, like there are plenty of people who are like, I want to have a kid. Wanting to have a kid and being ready to have a kid, I think, are two totally different things. Because nothing can completely prepare you for what it's like to go from not having a kid to having a kid. Um, Like the beginnings of just the interest in keeping this small being that you've created or welcomed into your house in some other way alive is like it creates stakes, it creates sleeplessness, it creates anxiety and worry and, and the want to do it right and the worry of are we doing it right in a way that you, again, like you just can't be necessarily prepared. So I would say number one, you're probably not going to feel completely ready, but I do believe that you are completely prepared, that you are completely competent and capable of handling what this experience will end up being because I believe it was like a gift given to you when you feel ready to have a, a baby. I know that I just said you're not going to feel ready, but like if you're at the place where you're going to start trying, there's something inside of you that has been engaged that says, all right, we're adults. We can do this. We're going to figure it out as we go. And I think the, the danger that anyone or the hard part that anyone ends up experiencing at the beginning tends to, to most often be the comparison game of how you're doing it relative to how someone else is doing it. Like, am I doing it right? Or why do they seem like they are having such an easier time with it? Like, one of the dangers or traps of having babies inside of the social media world that we live inside of is that the optics that are able to be created by the highlight reel version of somebody's life being put up on the, the interwebs makes it seem... That hell, my goodness! Look at this. Like we're everything is fantastic and beige, and it it matches, and it's clean, and everyone's sleeping, and the the bathing is like no, like there's probably just as much sleeplessness and worry and trying to figure it out, and milk stains and mesh underwear and whatever else happening. Outside of what is being posted on Instagram and Facebook and yet that's the thing you see and so you you know start to Worry that maybe they've figured out how to have a baby in a way that of course they haven't they're just like you They're gonna figure it out as you go Um, And I I think maybe the last thing I would say in terms of feeling like you are ready I Definitely came into becoming a father thinking that I had to do it like my dad did Now here's the thing, I had a great dad, I have a great dad. He's amazing in so many ways. And he did an amazing job with my mom, raising four kids, I was the oldest of four kids. They had four kids in like seven years. I mean like back to back, four kids, four young kids at young ages. And they did an amazing job. And I mean, I wrote about this in my last book, like I thought that if I didn't do things his way as a dad, that I was in some way dishonoring him or that it would be a slight in some way if I were to deviate from the way that he was a dad. And what I've come to appreciate is I can hold both. I can both honor the fact that he was the most amazing, present, awesome dad and that some of the things that he did as a father in 1975 when I was born, in 1980 when I was five, and 1985 when I was 10, were relevant and appropriate and the best interest aligned with his values and that of my mom's and the city that we're living in and the way that they decided to divide up who was responsible for doing what inside the house. And I can also appreciate that i'm not living in 1975 80 or 85 that my values are yep close to his but not completely aligned with his and as a result the things that i need to do as a dad and the way that parenting shows up in this house is going to be something that is different because times are different i'm different the needs of my kids are different and that different is okay. It in no way disparages or dishonors the amazingness that was the way that he raised us or parented us or was a dad to us, is a granddad to my kids. And so um, the worry of like, will you get it right? Or will you be ready? A lot of times is like, are you gonna do it the right way? And I will tell you, the right way is your way. And if you open yourself up to, Uh, inviting the opinions of your mother-in-law or your friends online or what a book might say or someone who's commenting in Facebook, you will question if you are good at being a parent in a way that you won't if you can just accept that your way is the right way. The needs of you and your partner, the needs of your child in your house in this year, they are specific to you. And so the way that you do it will be what ends up working for you. And it might look different from every other person. And that ain't nobody's business. It don't matter. Let that go. Uh, okay, Jolie asks, uh, the experience of a boy dad versus a girl dad. Do you have any advice for girl dad that wished for a boy? Uh, this is the first kid. Um, well, I... I had three boys first, and then ultimately we welcomed Noah into our house. And for me, what's interesting is like I all, I mean, I grew up a boy. So, like, I have had experiences of what it was like to be a boy. And so that informed a little bit of how I felt comfortable connecting with my boys in doing things that I liked to do when I was growing up. What's interesting is I grew up. I grew up playing baseball. I grew up playing soccer, and I thought back to one of the things I said earlier in the episode that um, each of my kids are just going to love baseball. Each of my kids are going to love soccer, and I have like some of the most awkward pictures of putting Jackson, my firstborn son, into a baseball uniform that he did not want to wear, a sport that he did not want to play as I was trying to recreate my own childhood because of that being something that felt familiar to me. And, um, and that just, man, it just wasn't the case. Like you have to, again, like just lean into and play to the strengths and the passions of your kids. There's so many different options of what is going to make these kids come alive. Um, but for the most part, Raising boys is something that, like, I knew, like, oh, yeah, I wrestled in this way or I rode bikes in this way or I made fart jokes in that way or I could goof about this thing. Or when it came to even the awkward stuff with anatomy and whatever might be happening, I could have these conversations because I knew about it. When Noah came around, I, to be honest, I had a harder time knowing exactly how to, like, meet her in places where she wanted to or needed to be met because i I didn't grow up a girl i just didn't i just didn't know at the same time well, this is a wild thing but and maybe this is a byproduct of adoption right our three boys were biologically born and noah was adopted um it took me a while to connect on a like as deep a level as i am connected to my boys like call it six months of time where I was like, I should be even more connected. And, and at the time, Rachel, because she'd carried the babies and was nursing the babies, like she was so connected. And I was, I was just not as connected at the beginning with the boys. With Noah, maybe it was because of the journey of like through international adoption that didn't work out and foster care that didn't work out to our you know private adoption that finally did. There was something in like, the most immediate, right? We were in the in the hospital room when she was born. We brought her home from where she was born in Omaha. Like, I was connected to her in a way that I wasn't with the boys. And I think in some ways that connection, right, is something that has uh, continued on. I mean, obviously, like, she's such a light in my life. But that connection also, in some ways, this is going to sound terrible, but, like, she can get away with murder. I mean... This this kid knows that she is a daddy's girl, and um, in a way that, like, geez, like, I know that rules exist, but do they for Noah? And that's the problem, is that she knows. Do they, Dad? Do, do rules exist? Do I have to stay in bed? Like, if you could see the bedtime routine with the boys, right? Like, I go in. I say, I say the prayer, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may he let his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, look upon you kindly and give you peace, amen. Same prayer that my mother prayed over me every single night when I was growing up. I say that prayer, I might tickle it back for a couple of minutes and then good night, it's over. Noah Hollis has a bedtime routine that takes like 47 minutes. It is the most obscene, It's there's so many little rituals. And it's just that, like, she can get away with, like, wait, 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 hold on. After the story, we have to put the stuffed animals. In, and then after the stuffed animals, we have to do our secret handshake. And after the secret handshake, we've got to say our prayers. And we also have to sing Jesus Loves Me. Then you need to hold me for 20 seconds. And it's just like, holy cow. So there is something about being the dad of a girl that um, let, let's, has that girl getting away with just about anything. Like at a certain point, I will have to enforce a rule. It might be 2023. I don't know. We'll see. But um, I, I will say this: like I think I came in with expectations of what it would feel like to have a boy or have a girl, to have bio kids, or uh, you know, like how I might feel around adoption. And the reality is. Any of those things have just been destroyed by how close and attached and connected I feel to my kids. They are just such unique and wonderful lights on this planet. I feel so, so, so grateful. But I know for me, just on that topic, when we were adopting, I really had a concern that I would not feel as close to or as connected to Noah because she was adopted as I did to my biological children. Which now even saying that out loud, it's just like, it's such a ridiculous thing to have thought. But it was just a real fear. It was just, I'm just being honest, it was a real fear. And I have not one time in my entire life, Noah's more than four years old, not one time in my life have I looked at Noah and been like, oh, there's my adopted daughter. No. Noah is my daughter. She is my daughter as much as Ford is my son and there's never one not one time been a feeling of like oh i love you but i don't love you as much as i love a baby that has some of my own dna like it's just it's just not a thing even though it was a fear it's just not a thing so um if you're you know early on in your experience as a as a dad and you're worried about certain things i'd hope uh, i'd hope for them to see that some of those concerns just aren't that real once they get into being with that baby every single day. Jen is asking, how do you help your kids understand and see their own potential? Um, I mean, this kind of goes back to a little bit of that, uh, you know, each of them are such unique individuals. I really encourage them to pick a thing or a couple of things that they can really laser focus on in a particular season, right? Like, they can't play every sport. They can't do every activity. So you got to pick one, in part because, like, logistics, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. It's so many miles that a car can drive. I'm, you know, like, at a certain point, you're like, nope, we can't do scouts and baseball and, uh, you know, rodeo. Rodeo? Doesn't matter. But the bottom line is you got to pick, like, a thing. Part of picking a thing is like playing around with what you have curiosity for, what you're interested in, where you might end up developing that curiosity into passion. And so like potential to me, like has to like go back, you have to almost like backwards engineer potential into the things that you have some like actual passion for, where you like get excited about. And and feel like lit up for working on that thing. I mean, in uh, <laughs> I keep talking about books, but in the next book, I I really dive into like finding your purpose, your mission in in life while you're on the stinking planet. And uh, there's there's this great Japanese uh, philosophy, ig- ig- Igaki, Igiki? I I don't know how to say it exactly, but um, it's this idea of these converging. Uh, in a Venn diagram, if you will, like converging circles, where you're trying to find the middle, and the the four pieces are what you have passion for, right? Like what lights you up, what you are great at, right? Where do you have competency? Where's what's something that you can do well? What can impact other people? Right. Like what of what you're doing can actually impact other people. How can you take the things that you have passion for and that you have competency in and use them to help or provide service, serve needs of other people? And then the fourth one, not that it applies necessarily to kids just yet, is like sustenance. How can you create some financial freedom or, or security in taking the thing that you have passion for, that you're great at and helps other people and actually Uh, Provide for your family. And I think when you think about potential for kids, at least starting with those first three, where do you have passion? What are you good at? Is there something that you could inevitably end up impacting other people because of this thing that you're good at or have passion for? And keep playing in that spot. I'm definitely the dad. You bring home a report card that's got four C's, a B and an A, I'm talking to you about the A. All right. What is it about this class that you did really well in that, you know, you're excelling at that you want to like, do you want to do more in this? Do you want to see if we can't get you a tutor to like even like get you to the next level? My son playing baseball as a for example, right? Like he was playing baseball and he was playing soccer. He was excelling at baseball. He was and he was playing flag football. Good Lord. And uh, and in baseball, he was just far and away one of the better players. And he was good at flag football. He was good at soccer, but he was a great baseball player. So, you know, I had a sit-down conversation like, what do you think about focusing on baseball? What do you think about getting someone to come by the house every other week to help you with some pitching lessons? What do you think about doing a travel season in addition to the traditional league? Like, what if we poured into it? And so I think, like, tapping into potential sometimes is about focus and just like really putting more eggs in the basket of the thing that you have the passion for and that you have some of the skill around. All right. Uh, Is there anything else? Is there anything else? I'm scrolling through questions. That's a lot of questions. Um, I mean, I'll just say, you know, being a dad is one of the most important and meaningful parts of my life, is it like completely joy filled? No, like (laughs) I, I love these kids and they of course can push buttons and can just be, you know, totally infuriating on certain days. And yet, um, I find myself like overwhelmed at times with pride for the way that they are showing their individuality and playing into their strengths and leaning into why they've been put on this planet, even at the young ages that they end up being. And, um, you know, when I, (laughs) Heidi and I were playing this, um, this card game, it's like a, get to know get to know this person that you are dating card game and a variety of different questions and one of the questions in the stack that we were going through the other day was children are fill in the blank children are fill in the blank fill in the blank Um, and my answer was children are our legacy right at the end of my life Part of how my impact in this world will be seen and appreciated will be by the way that my kids have become the people that they've become. And so there's like, man, such an awesome responsibility that comes in trying my very best to prepare them to become the adults that I would hope for them to become, because I know that they were placed here for greatness and part of... Why I was placed here, part of what will define my own greatness on this planet will inevitably end up being how I'm able to raise these humans to be good people, decent people, people of integrity, people of faith, people who are kind, people who are like focused on impact that unlock the skills and potential that they have, but do so with decency and kindness, inclusivity and, and in, in a way that like truly would honor their name, honor their creator, and in some ways, hopefully, honor me as their dad, honor honor Ray as their mom, and um, I don't know. So far, so good. I love these kids, and I love being a dad, and I love Father's Day because uh, it is a day to celebrate all of uh, the chaos and craziness that comes with being a parent in this house, but it's also that chance to reach out to my own dad, Dave Sr., the original Dave... Mr. Dave Hollis, and, uh, and I get to tell him how awesome he is and, uh, and was as a dad as well. I hope you have a fantastic Father's Day uh, wherever you are celebrating uh, the men in your life. And if you're someone who finds themselves on a Father's Day not celebrating because you may not be fortunate to have had a positive experience with your dad, that maybe Father's Day for you is something that's hard. Um, I want to honor and create space for that too. I, I know that there is so much privilege in having grown up with someone that I love and respect and did well uh, by his dad. And at the same time, I know that not everyone is that lucky. So if if you're someone who is experiencing something this Sunday that feels more like pain or grief or hardship. You're having uh, to sit with who you wish could have shown up as your dad. If you're in a relationship with someone who maybe hasn't been the most present father to your children, uh, I see you and I want to say that I hold space for you on this Father's Day as well. Until next week, here's to the dads. May they live up to the high bar of modeling who they'd hope their kids to show up as. I appreciate you all for listening. I hope you have a fantastic Father's Day. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.